Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. Mr. President, presented by the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations. Mr. President, home in the White House, the elected leader of our country, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It's evening and only one window shows a light, the study on the ground floor. We enter and find ourselves in the corridor. Good evening. I'm the President's secretary. Won't you go right in, please? Some visitors for you, Mr. President. Hello. Sit down, won't you? Have you ever noticed how most good friends enjoy an argument? And argue just for the sake of arguing? <laughs> I remember the favorite topic of my gang when I was a boy was the size of Cousin Minnie's fortune and whether or not her husband wore his toupee when he went to bed. Well, I want to tell you a story about two of that gang and an argument we have never finished. Which president was I? See if you can guess. One evening, a few years before I entered the White House... I was having dinner with these two friends, Bill Rives and John Botts. We were already in politics, but we were hardly talking about that. Just a moment. Rainbow trout in the James River? Of course, I caught a rainbow trout in the James. Hey, now, 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 break it up. They were speckled trout. Bill, I know a rainbow trout when I see one. And I caught four that day. I've lived on the James River, swum in the James River, and fished in the James River ever since I was born. There are no rainbow trout in the James River. Gentlemen, Bill, please. you can take my word oh, for it. Oh, I believe that you believe they were rainbow trout, all right, only they weren't. Every man has to see for himself and make up his own mind. And what's the matter with that? Well, I'll tell you. Now, the... Listen, Bill, why are we arguing? <laughs> <laughs> now, that's better. <laughs> right. Let's all go fishing tomorrow and settle it that way. No, I call that a good compromise. Uh, Bill, you hear that, John says? <laughs> compromise. <laughs> I guess we could both learn from him, couldn't we? I bet you we never do. Oh, if you two would only give up arguing about fishing. John, it's healthy to argue. Well, yes, I know, but you two carry it too far. Now, look, here we are, friends for years. We feel alike and think alike on almost every subject under the sun. There's no limit to what we could do together if you two would only stop arguing. For instance, someday I hope to run for the House of Representatives in Washington. Well, you two could help me. Oh, you'll do very well there, John. Yes, Congress is a good place for a born compromiser. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about you? Well, I wouldn't want to give John any competition. I'll stick to the courts. I wouldn't mind being a judge. How about you, Bill? I know what I want to do and where I want to go. To the United States Senate. And so 
election of my friend Bill Rives to the United States Senate. For years, you, my fellow citizens of this state, have known me and John Potts and William Rives as members of this party and as close and very dear friends. John Botts has entered the House of Representatives, and you are all aware of his fine record there. When you elected John Botts to his office and me to mine, and after the death of our president I entered the White House, it was clear that you expected of us something great. But in order to carry out these wishes, we must have the cooperation of every member of our party in the government. That is why I ask you to vote against William Rives. He must not go to the Senate. Mr. President, why did you make that speech against me? Bill, I asked you to come here to Washington so that I could explain to you. You talked as though I were a bitter enemy. Bill, I have the same regard for you that I always had. Politics is teaching you to talk like a politician. The White House is teaching me what my job is and that it comes first. Well, how can you do a job, any job, if you go back on your friends? If you desert a friend, you'll desert a principal just as quickly. Now, wait, Bill. I didn't attack you in the campaign for any personal reason. I can't have you in the Senate because I know how you stand. And I've got a hard fight on my hands with Senator Gray and his group. And what makes you so sure I'll follow him? Bill, the senator is going to fight for another bank of the United States. And I know how you stand on this issue. Don't you see? It means another huge financial organization owned by the government with branches in every state. That's bad. But we need a national bank. It would give our money a greater stability. The wrong kind of stability, Bill. Wrong kind? I am controlled by a few men in Washington. Well, there may be advantages in that. Bill, you remember down home all those small farmers and merchants and storekeepers? Yes. When they needed a little money, where did they go? Well, to the farmers and merchants bank, I suppose. And they usually got their loans, didn't they? And pay them back because they know the bank officers and the bankers know them. And they trust each other. But suppose those little banks all over the country are swallowed up by one enormous national bank. Oh, I'm not so sure that's what would happen. The power of the national bank would breed the desire for more power and the power to get power. Where would the storekeepers and merchants and farmers be in a situation of that kind? Some people think that our small banks are too weak, too old-fashioned. Of course. Those people want power concentrated in one huge bank that they can manipulate to their own advantage. Oh, no, Bill. You don't see this as I do. We must have men in the Senate who agree with us, not with Senator Gray. The bank bill hasn't even been put before the country. It was before the country a few years ago, and it was smashed. Now, I want to see it smashed again. Mr. President, I remember once with John Botts, we laughed because neither you nor I were compromisers. Well, we were right. And now I'm going to fight harder than ever to get into the Senate. And whatever happens, believe me... There'll be no compromise. Good afternoon, Mr. President. Good afternoon, Mr. Ives. Mr. President, you want to check your appointment for tomorrow? What did you say, Miss Sarum? Well, your appointments for tomorrow. Uh, they, are there many? Maybe they can be put off. Oh, I'm afraid... That... No, 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 Miss Sarum. I'll keep them all. I only wish sometimes that I'd never seen the White House. I hate smashing a man's career even if it is my job. Yes, I know. Mr. Rives may be elected anyway, Mr. President. You know, I almost hope he is. Wow. 
President? Yes, Miss Zara. Congressman Botts is here to see you. Uh, have him come in, will you please? Certainly, Mr. President. Mr. Botts, the President will see you now. Thank you, Miss Zara. Hello, John. It's good to see you. Oh, Mr. President, I've just arrived in Washington for the new session. I've come to pay my respects. To an old friend? <laughs> to the president and to an old friend. John, I suspect you're one of the few men in the House or Senate who feel that way. Oh, nonsense, Mr. President. Look at the House of Representatives. Apart from you and a few others, who else is going to stand with me in this fight against the bank? Are you making that your fight, Mr. President? More than ever. And in the Senate? Well, Senator Gray has already proposed his bill for a bank of the United States, and so, of course, he'll be against you. But you have other friends in the Senate. None as powerful as Gray. Well, there's, there's Bill Rives. Well, I know how Bill stands. Besides, he has never forgiven me for opposing his election. Have you seen him? Oh, once or twice. When you see him again, would you tell him that I'm personally delighted he was elected, even over my opposition? John, don't leave out the word... Personally. You, uh, you don't think he'll change in his feelings about the bill? Mm, he has never indicated that he would. <sighs> well, then, Mr. President, I'm afraid you haven't as many allies in the House and Senate as I thought. Just the same, I'm going to make this fight the issue of my administration. You'll be taking on a powerful set of opponents. Do they frighten you? Well, I only like to take them into account. I wonder if... Yes? Well, suppose Senator Gray were willing to change his bill somewhat to meet your views. Well, what would you do then? I don't believe that amendments would change the real issue. When does the bill come up in the House for its first vote? Oh, in another day or so, Mr. President. It'll be passed, I suppose. Senator Gray's allies in the House hope for a very heavy vote in favor in case you veto the bill later. A word from you either way would still have a powerful effect. John, you know how I feel. I'll leave it to your good judgment as to how to express my views. If my aide, Alfred Lawton, can be of help to you, let me know, will you? Uh, yes. Um, I'll be going now, Mr. President. Thank you for your time. Now, John, I hope we'll be able to see each other often. We've been friends a long time, and, well, we always looked forward to being in Washington together, didn't we? I'm honored by your confidence, Mr. President. I'll remember everything you said. Thank you. It's very strange, Miss Sarah. Friendship, I mean. I always thought it was a simple thing, Mr. President. Oh, it ought to be. But look what's happened to me and John Botts and Bill Rives. When we were younger, Bill Rives and I were really the closest. Now I'm the president. And it's John Botts who comes here as a friend. It's not the way I thought it would be. I think you can blame Washington for that. Somehow, friendship ought to be able to survive Washington. Mm -hmm. You know, if Bill Ryers were to come through that door now, I know we could be friends again. He may find it hard to forgive you, Mr. President. But in the end, he won. He was elected to the Senate. I was hoping somehow that would change his feelings. Excuse me, Mr. President. Miss Sarah, I've got to see the President. Mr. President, it's Mr. Law. Uh, Mr. President, have you changed your stand on the bank bill? It's certainly not. Not in any particular? Not in any particular. Why? I've just come from the House of Representatives. Well, the bill is up for a vote today, isn't it? Yes, and Congressman John Botts is telling the others that you're in favor of the bill. Botts? That's impossible. He's saying that he had an interview with you and that you intimated you would not veto the bill. Lawton, I told him exactly the opposite. He's an old and dear friend of mine. He's always known how I felt about the bank bill. 
There's no, there's no way he could have misunderstood me. I'm very sorry, Mr. President, but he's already pulling votes over in favor of the bill by quoting you. I don't understand it. I have a theory, sir. What? Mr. Botts is known to have become personally very friendly with Senator Gray. And as you know, Senator Gray has presidential ambitions. And Botts is attaching himself to a future president? Lawton, go back to the House of Representatives and tell every man you can find that if John Botts says I'm in favor of the bill, he's a liar. Mr. Botts? Oh, Mr. Botts. Huh? Oh, yes, Mr. Lawton? I've just come from the White House. The president denies that he told you he might be in favor of the bank bill. Really, Mr. Lawton? The president authorizes me to say the same thing to every gentleman in the House. <laughs> I'm afraid it's a little too late for that. What? The bill was voted on not 15 minutes ago. And passed. Good day, Mr. Lawton. Lawton, I don't understand how Botts could do it. Mr. President, I still stick to my theory of ambition. Mr. President, Mr. Lawton... Couldn't you give Mr. Botts some credit for honest conviction about the bank bill? Of course, but to come here as if he was still my personal friend to get my views on the bill, which are clear and definite, and then to quote me exactly the opposite? With the result that the House passed the bill with a heavy majority, so heavy that they could repass the bill over a veto. You will veto it, Mr. President? I told Botts that I was making this bill the main issue of my term in office. My views were known before the campaign, and nobody can say they're surprised. There's a further danger now, Mr. President. The bill comes before the Senate next week, and they may be impressed by the size of the House vote. And there are quite a few people in the country who are for the bank. Well, I've only got one chance now, Lawton, that the Senate vote, even if it's in favor of the bill, will be close. Then my veto might be sustained. Mr. President? Yes? When both houses of Congress pass a bill by sizable majorities, isn't it dangerous for a president to veto it? Miss Sara, if it's true that the overwhelming majority of my fellow citizens want this bill, they'll get it. But not before I've told them why it's wrong and the terrible harm it can do. Then if they still want it, well, I'll have fought a hard fight and lost. Meantime, Lawton, you might do a little scouting on how the Senate feels. I'll start right now, sir. Good afternoon. Good sir. afternoon. Miss Sarum, this is not the best day I ever had. Evidently, friendship isn't strong enough to survive Washington. Well, evidently not. And how can I blame a man for being ambitious and sacrificing everything to it? Come to think of it, Miss Sarah, the way I feel about John Botts now must be a, about the way Bill Rives feels about me. And I'm afraid it's not very friendly. I could, Mr. Lawton. Am I too late? Senator Gray's been speaking for some time already, and he's got the Senate in the palm of his hand. You can hear him from the Senate gallery. Shall we go in? Yes, please. And the Bank of the United States would give our nation the economic sinew she needs to lift her to world leadership. <laughs> Today, in the competition of trade in which all nations find themselves, we enter the contest weak and weaponless against other powers of the world. That's a strong appeal to Gentlemen, nationalistic feeling, Miss Sarah. Yes, I have I made plain that a bank of the United States is as needful to our economic growth as is the Constitution to our political growth. I have only one more point to make. 
The House of Representatives has already passed this bill by a majority large enough to defeat a possible veto by the men in the White House. We must do the same to show him that the overwhelming will of the majority must prevail. Who is he to stand alone against us all? When you vote, gentlemen, remember, we want not only victory, but victory unchallenged. He's made a strong appeal. I'm afraid the bill will pass, Miss Sarah, with a large majority. But the president has some friends in the Senate. Isn't anyone going to challenge him? Where he may have frightened them. But the bill has to be debated. Oh, look, Mr. Lawton. Uh, yeah, the chair is recognizing a speaker. The chair recognizes the senator from Virginia. It's Rives, William Rives. Huh. That means just another speech supporting Senator Gray and the bill. We can say one thing for Senator Rives. At least he's taking his revenge in the open. Gentlemen of the Senate. On the faces of some of my colleagues, whom I know to be against the bill, I see discouragement. But the bill has not yet been passed. I, for one, see no reason to be discouraged. And I will not let Senator Gray cram it down my throat. Mr. Lawton, listen to me. I can hardly believe it. Gentlemen, for a long time, I was in favor of Senator Gray's proposal until the good senator gave me an opportunity to study it. I am convinced that this bill in its present form would be unconstitutional. Furthermore, I wonder if it has occurred to you gentlemen that this bank might become an octopus gobbling up our smaller banks until it finally gobbles up the federal government itself. Gentlemen, I, for one, prefer not to be gobbled up by a bank of the United States or by Senator Gray. And thus, thus I ask you to consider carefully the facts before you vote for this bill. President, he was the first one to stand up and defy Senator Gray. It was magnificent. Rives? Bill Rives? Yes. We could feel the effect of his speech all through the Senate chamber. It was clear he'd made up his own mind and was going to speak it no matter what happened. <laughs> and Gray was furious, I suppose. <laughs> Livid with rage. Obviously, he expected the bill to go through with hardly any debate. And then to hear a new senator get up and defy him. Now, it's strange, Miss Sarah. The man I counted on turned against me. And Bill Rives, well, he's come to my rescue. Miss Sarah, it means we shall have a chance. I know Bill Rives. When he gets an idea into his head, nothing can move it. He'll certainly persuade some of the other senators that he is right. Oh, it would be wonderful if the Senate defeated the bill, Mr. President. Excuse me, just a moment, Mr. President. Mr. President, it's Senator Rives. Senator Rives? Bill. Come in, Senator. Thank you. Mr. President, I hope you don't mind this informal visit. Bill, can we shake hands? I'd like to very much, sir. Bill, uh, did you ever meet a man who enjoyed uh, admitting a mistake? I know I wouldn't, Mr. President. Well, you've just met one. Bill, I wish I could take back that speech I made about you because I was wrong. I shouldn't have counted on that cantankerous independence of yours instead of party discipline. It's funny... I was sure you'd be my most dangerous opponent on the floor of the Senate. And now you've become the only man I can really count on. Not the only one, Mr. President. Nearly, Bill. 
If you turned defeat into victory, it wasn't because the senators believed in my ideas. It's because you persuaded them. We, uh, we didn't win, Mr. President. How did it turn out? We didn't win, but we lost by a close margin. What? At the beginning, it looked like sure victory for Gray and the bill, but in the end, we lost by only three votes. Hmm. It means you still face a fight over the veto. Yes, but I stand a chance now of making it stick. Of course, you know, if you do veto it, Senator Gray will oppose you on everything you do in the rest of your administration. I know that. But this is the biggest issue in the country. And I'm not going to pull back now. Senator Gray. Yes, Mr. Bunch. You've seen the president's veto message? Indeed, I have. The House of Representatives has decided not to try to override the veto. You concede defeat, Senator? I do not. I'm going into the Senate chamber now. I've still got some things to say. Mr. President, I've just come from the Senate. It's late, Lord. Your veto message was read and Senator Gray made an angry speech. I'm afraid he's become your permanent enemy, sir. I'm willing to risk that. Senator Rives came over with me. Oh. Oh, come on in, Bill. Good evening, sir. Uh, you look pretty tired. Well, it was a long session, sir. Has Lawton told you? I was just going to, Senator. Bad news? On the contrary, Mr. President. Neither the Senate nor the House would try to repass the bill over your veto. They know there's no chance. And Senator Gray? Well, if the bill had been passed, it would have helped his ambition to become president someday. He's, uh, he's pretty bitter. That means I'll have trouble from now on. He's already begun stirring up feeling against you. And besides, there's a strong current of popular feeling that the bill should have been passed and that you used uh, personal friendship to turn some senators against it. <laughs> well, Bill, we know what that charge is worth. It might have been better if I hadn't come to see you, sir. Oh, nonsense, Bill. I wonder what that is. What did you say, Lawton? That noise. Well, it sounds like a crowd out on Pennsylvania Avenue. A crowd at this hour? What for? I'll take a look. Open the window, will you? Yes, sir. Well, look, sir. Hundreds of men coming toward the White House. Well, what in heaven's name do they want? I'd better cut out the guards, sir. This looks like trouble. Down with the veto! Down, Down with the veto, he said, Mr. President. The veto? You mean that crowd has come here over this? Jobs, more jobs. Do they think that they've gotten jobs because of the bank? Why, they're wrong. That crowd looks menacing, Mr. President. Lawton, do you see any police? Where are the White House guards? They're not out there. And the crowd's coming under the lawn. Oh, this is disgraceful. They're coming right up to the window, Mr. President. I'm going to call the police. Hey, good, Lawton. Some fool in that crowd. Down to the man at the White House. I'm going down and talk to them. They're throwing stones. Please, Mr. President, get back there. They'll quiet down if I talk to them. No, sir, don't go. There are guns in that crowd. Police are arriving, Mr. President. Those men will be caught and punished. Miss Sarah. Yes, Mr. President. About those men who threatened my life. Uh, they go on trial tomorrow, I believe. Yes, Mr. President. There's no doubt they'll be found guilty. Well, I've been doing a good deal of thinking about those men. It was an inexcusable act, Mr. President. Uh, Miss Sarah, I want to dictate a letter. Oh, yes, Mr. President. To the prosecuting attorney, District of Columbia. My dear sir, we are lucky enough to live in a nation where every man has the right to think as he wishes. The right to his own opinion. And where no other man can punish him for it or make him change it except by peaceful persuasion. 
This demonstration, though wrong, was an outbreak of popular feeling. The dangers of punishing free opinion are far greater than the dangers of free expression, even if violently expressed. For that reason, the court is petitioned to drop the prosecution of these 30 men and release them. Your Honor, as prosecuting attorney for the District of Columbia, it is my duty to open the presentation of this case. Before us stand these 30 men who led a disorderly mob to the White House and threatened the life of the President. However, Your Honor, the letter I have just read is signed by the President of the United States. Well, Miss Sarah, now that everything is settled, do you think you could hold the fort for a day or so? (laughs) I'll try, Mr. President, but I'll have to know where to reach you. Uh, Bill? Yes, Mr. President. I thought you and I might go uh, fishing. Fishing, Mr. President? You still go? Oh, yes, yes. Miss Sarah, did you ever catch a rainbow trout? Uh, no. Uh, Certainly not in the James River. Why not the James River? You can't catch rainbow trout on the James River if there are no rainbow trout in the James River. Bill, you're the most thick-headed man I ever met. Just, you just won't believe a thing until you... Oh, well, I take that back, Bill. (laughs) Gentlemen, I'm interested now. Are there any rainbow trout in the James River? No, Miss Sarah, not one. Oh, but there are, Miss Sarah, hundreds. Oh, so this is what's called changing a man's mind by peaceful persuasion. <laughs> but are there any rainbow trout in the James River? Miss Sarah, I'll tell you something. Yeah, that's right, that's right. I, I don't think either of us have the, the vaguest idea one way or the other. <laughs> As you see, the fight over the Bank of the United States ended in victory for the White House. The 30 rioters were released. One friend was lost, and another friend regained. And we never did decide whether or not there are any rainbow trout in the James River. Now, have you guessed yet which president I was tonight? The time was 1841, and that was when John Tyler lived in the White House as Mr. President. Incidentally, John Tyler was the third president we had in the year 1841. Martin Van Buren was succeeded in March of 1841 by William Henry Harrison, who died one month later, elevating the vice president, John Tyler, to the presidency. Won't you drop in and see me again next week? I have another interesting story for you about Mr. President. Good night. Mr. Arnold appears by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of a Technicolor picture, Unfinished Dance, starring Margaret O'Brien with Sid Charisse, Karen Booth, and Danny Thomas. (laughs) Mr. 
Mr. President is presented each week by the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations. It is produced by Robert G. Jennings, directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah is played by Betty Lou Gerson. Tonight's story by Paul R. Milton was suggested by incidents in the administration of President John Tyler. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adler. sure to listen again next week when Edward Arnold brings you another story of Mr. President. Now, a special program note. Theater Guild on the Air returns Sunday night. Don't miss the play One Sunday Afternoon starring James Stewart on Theater Guild on the Air Sunday night over this ABC station. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs>